Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 759 with Rob Giuliani. Small tweaks and modifications. So that would be my biggest advice to your listeners, whether they're in the tech world, whatever, you know, social media, Instagram, make changes. Don't just stick with what's not working. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you still manually processing your accounts payable? No, 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 no. You need to be using Plate IQ. Plate IQ is the most intelligent and intuitive way to remotely manage your accounts payable. With Plate IQ, you can pay your vendors with a fraction of the time and manpower it took before. To learn more, head over to www.plateiq.com slash unstoppable. That's www.plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll get 25% off implementation. Not all of us were created with that creative bone in our body. We just don't have that artistic ability. I'm definitely one of those people. So when I need some creative work done, I look to 99designs. 99designs, whether you are looking to get your business online, strengthen your social media presence, or if you're exploring a new way to engage with your customers, 99designs, they have a creative solution for you. So to learn more right now, I suggest heading to 99designs.com slash unstoppable. When you use that link, you'll save $20 off your first design contest. Again, that's 99designs.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com. Slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today. But before I dive in and let you know what we got going on, I just want to take a quick moment to say thank you. Thank you so much for supporting the show by using my links and using my sponsors. Uh, When you support my sponsors, they support the show. It's that simple. And I don't let anybody support the show. I don't let anybody sponsor the show. You have to have been recommended and I have to, you know, you, you have to make that cut. Um, and seven shifts has been sponsoring now for seven episodes. They've had great success. They just re-upped for another 26 episodes. Thank you guys so much. You have no idea how much this supports the show and it really just helps me continue to show up and to deliver that high level grade a quality interview. Um, so wouldn't be able to do it without you guys. So with that said, uh, we have another great show for you today. We talked to Rob Giuliani, uh, Rob, Man, I love his story. Uh, he and his business partner, Abby Taylor, started Playa Bowls in 2014 with nothing but a couple blenders and a table set up outside of a pizza joint in New Jersey. And they have grown this thing to almost 100 locations. We actually met up with Rob Giuliani in the, their newest location in Manchester, New Hampshire. And um, I just think this is an incredibly inspiring story of just starting where you can, slowly improving and, and getting a little bit better with every day and 
and just having confidence and, and having a passion for something. And it's amazing what happens when you, when you show up with a passion and just good intention. I, I kind of feel like that's what came from today's show. A lot of other great advice about just like collaborating with different people in your, your market, uh, looking at, I think it was like, uh, we were talking about the shopping centers and how shopping centers, the, the, economics of a shopping center. And it's just really interesting stuff. We get into some really cool stuff in today's chat. I know you're going to love it. Here it is, Rob Giuliani. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest. He originated from Ocean County, New Jersey. Today's guest is a graduate from Rutgers University. He's a veteran. He's an entrepreneur. He's a restaurateur. He's a surfer. And he's the co-founder and CEO of Playa Bowls, which just opened its 99th location in Manchester, New Hampshire. So... Again, Rob Giuliani, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling very unstoppable today. <laughs> yes, man. Considering I'm in 25 degree weather in New Hampshire and it was 65 uh, the other day in New Jersey, but yeah, I mean it's only I'm, a couple uh, hundred miles north, but there's a big yeah. difference for some reason. I don't <laughs> exactly, know why. Dude. Uh, well, I can't wait to get into your story and to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? So, as I was saying to you earlier. I should memorize this by now because I've said it over in my head about 500 times, but this is to me my true mantra from everything I've done from the Air Force, surfing, like you said, restaurateur. Um, I don't know who said it. I haven't even had the time to look it up. I don't know if I heard it from one of my mentors, but here we go. It's anyone can give up. It's the easiest thing in the world to do, but to hold it together when everyone else would understand if you fell apart, that's true strength. Nice. So that, that is my go-to. I should probably Google that one day and figure out who so actually said that. Why does that resonate with you? Really dive into why that, that rings true and close and near to your heart. Well, it resonates to me because you know every podcast that I've done, every interview I've done with entrepreneurs, um, whether it's you know from business school or elementary school kids, they're always like, they always have the one cliche question. They were like, so what's the hardest part about business? What's the hardest part about you know, opening a successful restaurant? And what I always say back to them is, dude, I go, the hardest part is having thick skin. You know, you're always going to fail. It's always hard. You know, and I've had mentors of my own that are like, dude, they're like, being on top is the loneliest place in the entire world. And I didn't get that in the beginning when I started this whole entire pliables thing. I'm like, no, dude, this is going to be awesome for the rest, you know, but it does get challenging. It gets hard and like, you fail and you know you always think that you're by yourself in the corner and like that's why that quote's important where it's like you know most people you know would expect you to give up and you know kind of quit but you know giving up's the easiest thing that we're all to do yeah i love that man that's a great way to get this thing started and i feel like i need to paint the picture for the listeners who aren't watching the video we're sitting in your your newest location number 99 in manchester new hampshire and this is the grand opening so that's why it sounds like a madhouse in here right now there's a line out the door and then past the door down the down like i don't even know how far it's going down the block yeah man since 10 o'clock this morning too i mean Bro, I mean, it, I woke up this morning. It was 24 degrees out, and I'm staying in Kennick, which is like 30 minutes from here. Yeah. And I'm going, it's 26 degrees. Nobody's going to be standing in line for this. They're I mean, here, like, man. we're selling frozen smoothies, and I pull up to this <laughs> store in Manchester, New Hampshire, and there's probably a line of like 80 people waiting wow. on line, and that's at 10 o'clock in the morning. Usually, our grand openings, the line cut out around like 12 o'clock. That's it's crazy. It's now man. 1 o'clock, and there's still a line of like... I think 30 people out there and it's still freezing cold. Dude, I'm super excited for you guys. This is great. So where does it make sense to start telling your story? Like, I know you have not a a non-traditional entry into the restaurant. Were you working in restaurants before Pliables? No. I mean, listen, I love food. That's that's probably my most experience (laughs) that I've had. I mean, you know, I eat more food than anybody can ever imagine. All my friends are like, dude, how are you not 500 pounds? Because I work out like an animal, but... uh, 
No, I mean, the story just... Uh it, as unconventional as it is, I mean, you hear a lot of these success stories come about. And, you know, I was selling medical equipment um, for a pretty prestigious orthopedic company that my brother got me into because he's an orthopedic surgeon. And um, I was dating my partner at the time, Abby Taylor, who's the co-founder of Pliables with me. And I'm so happy you just came out and said that because I was curious if there was something going on in the early days. Yeah, no, that day. <laughs> for your podcast listeners, I mean, me and Abby are pretty open with it. I yeah, mean, yeah. she's my ex-girlfriend. She's happily uh, engaged. I'm happily engaged with a child yeah. on the way, which is pretty cool. I think we can get into like how to like deal with personal life and business life because you know maybe that comes later down the road. But continue your story. Continue yeah, your story. Uh, yeah, that's gonna be an interesting story. But uh, <laughs> we pull back the layers here. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Not- <laughs> you're gonna peel back all these layers. <laughs> no, but uh, unconventional again. I mean, you hear these success stories. I mean, we started on a cart on the side of the road, and we really don't make that you know part of the story up where. You know, Abby was bartending at a local bar, a very busy, successful bar. She was pulling like $900 a night in tips. And I was doing well as a medical device rep. And we traveled surfing everywhere. And every time we got home, she was like, dude, I was driving like a 2010 Acura TL. She's like, you're making so much money. I'm like, dude, it's an Acura uh, 2010 Acura TL. I'm not making that much money. But to her, it was like... And she always just like... I don't want to say she complained, but she was you know, at the time 24 years old, 25, and going... What am I doing with my life? I can't believe that I'm still bartending. She has a college degree. I'm like, Abby, I'm like, you're a pretty talented artist. I was like, why don't you set a little cart up like in front of the pizzeria downstairs? We lived on Ocean Avenue. I said, sell acai bowls and sell your artwork out in front in the cart. And like, Abby's a motivated person. She's definitely grown through the company. And her answer right off the bat was, no, I'm not going to do that. That's like stupid. I'm not going to do that. And I kept like just feeding it in her mind. I was like, she knew people in town from bartending. The guy that owned uh, Dunkin' Donuts, the guy that owned another you know uh, pizza shop down the road. I'm like, reach out to them. I'm like, what's the worst they can say? Yeah. No, who gives a shit? Yeah, I, I love where this is going, but I want to bring the story back a little bit further. What like I, I like I like to say behind every great restaurant is a great person or great people. What is it about you? And Abby, your lives before this moment that you think sets you up for success. What uh, any like key like I mean military? I'm assuming that probably had. An I mean, those definitely had touches of you know of part of our success. I mean, I'll speak on my behalf. I mean, I can kind of guesstimate why Abby, but for me, I mean, I came from a really good family, really hardworking family. I always tell the story. My dad now he's 78 years old, but came to America when he was 26 years old to work here from Italy, from Rome, Italy, and he came here for one summer. Worked in his uncle's uh, factory, making not much money, and then he busboyed like on the side uh, to go back to pay for his wedding back in Italy, and he ended up staying here and just always being in the restaurant industry. Not so much the restaurant industry, but more catering side. Okay. And my dad was just a grinder. I mean, no, no, no joke aside, he worked. Dude, the guy worked like eight days a week. He slept in a Howard Johnson three nights a week, and just like, and all the kids that I hung out with growing up, whether it was Tom's River in North Jersey, were like. They always thought we were rich, and we were far from rich. But my dad always knew how to like get the right angle to like get us the things that we always wanted. He got us the college. My dad was not a military guy, but he got me and my brother Jeff into the military because he knew it would pay for college that he couldn't afford. Mm. And that kind of molded the people that me and my brothers are, which is kind of neat. What would you say the biggest lessons that you learned from your dad, who's a clear clear mentor to you? It seems like what like how has he impacted who you are today? Work hard. I mean, legit, no, Eric, no joke. My nephew, who I love more than anything, I got Aiden and Carson, like little teenage boys now. And like, let's, I'm not saying they're spoiled because they're not spoiled, but they're trying to sell raffle tickets right now for like their soccer team. Yeah. And he's hitting up his wealthy uncle, me, like in a group chat with like, and he's like, Uncle Rob, you got to buy these tickets. I'm like, 
Can I curse on this? Yeah. I was like, fuck you. I'm like, no. I'm like, go out like I used to do, yeah. hit the pavement, and go sell awesome. door to door. Yeah. I go, and if you can't sell it, then I'll come in and rescue you. I'm like, but fuck you. I'm like, yeah. go sell your own tickets. Yeah. But like to answer your question about my dad, I learned it. So I went from my dad to my oldest brother, James, to Jeff. I'm the youngest of three boys, and like they're a little bit older, a lot older than I am. And just my dad and my brothers instilled hard work into me. And going back to the quote, never giving up, life's challenging. Like, I, I don't want to sound like such a hard-nosed like, prick, but I don't take excuses for anything. Okay. Like, my whole life, like, if I failed in anything, I never blamed anybody else. I was always hard on myself, and I still am. Okay. And I hate people that are just like, they blame other people. It bothers me. So, anything else in your life besides selling uh, medical equipment or anything else? Because you're also an entrepreneur, according to your bio. Yeah. So, where's that entrepreneurial like <laughs> element? But was that... Did you that said we have an hour, right? Yeah. Because you might take 10 hours on this. <laughs> Does that exist before? The I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, starting in high school, I was selling fake Oakleys to all my classmates. <laughs> I got busted doing that. I got in a lot of trouble. And I swear to God, I did not know that they were fake. Oh, you're like, this must be a great deal. I like, thought they were real. because trying I, to help I don't do you remember how old are you? I'm 34. Or for I'm 35. Crap, I'm getting old. I'm 37. Do you okay. remember back in the day when Oakley's first came out, the glasses were like the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the legs of them they actually bent? Okay. They had like the little rubber things on the side. I think so, yeah, yeah. That was like the coolest thing for us. And like, I don't know, this kid came to me, he had like 500 of them. He's like, do you want to sell these for me? And I'm like, yeah, I'll sell them for you. And like, I went out and like, we were paying like $3 a piece for them. And I was selling to like all my classmates for like 20, 25 Damn. bucks. But I remember like two months later, I was getting, my, my parents were getting phone calls from their parents because their glasses were all breaking because they're all pieces of shit. They were like yeah. made in China, awful. Yeah. But um, I don't know, I guess it was better than like selling pot like most kids were doing at the time. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know what? As long as I'm doing that. Yeah, we, we're, we're learning. Okay. So it goes back for a long time. Uh, what, like, give me another example. Maybe more like closer to before opening Playa Bowls. Yeah. Of I mean, I... Um, Trying to think, me and my best friend from college, my my uh, my roommate Brian. His father was a, he still is. He's like a scientist slash engineer. He works for Virgin Airlines, and uh, he was a helicopter pilot. And he developed a virtual simulator, okay. which was a roller coaster. Okay. So me and my uh, roommate graduated college, and me at that time, me and him were like, "Well, what are we gonna do?" We ended up buying two of these virtual roller coasters. The father sells them to like hotels and casinos for like two hundred thousand dollars a piece. He sold me and Brian too for like 120000 Okay. We financed it. His dad didn't give us any break as far as like when we owed a payment. He was like, no, pay me. You owe me. Unfortunately for me and Brian, it was 2005, right when the economy collapsed. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we put it up on the seaside boardwalk, which for your listeners, if they're not familiar, it's like a beach town in Jersey. Well, obviously, you guys would know. It's the Jersey, Jersey Shore. Shore. Yeah, How yeah. You guys don't know that. <laughs> yeah. But we put it up on the Jersey Shore boardwalk and uh, economy collapsed. And at that time, families were not spending... $12 to put their kid on a virtual roller coaster and throw yeah. up all over the capsule and have me and Brian clean it up. Because that's basically what happened. <laughs> oh, Drunk kids just went on it, threw up on it, and we lost tons of money. <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is like, give me like some of the, the biggest lessons you've learned in the early years of being an entrepreneur before Pliable. And it sounds like, I, I, I feel like just that hard work just keeps showing up and trying always, different things, right? I, I always did things. I always still do things. Maybe not so much now. Like, I do things calculated. I know my risk tolerance. Like, I'm a risk taker by beyond belief. To be an entrepreneur, yeah. you have to be a risk oh, taker. Yeah. No ifs, ands, or buts. But I've always done it in a calculated manner where, like, you know, using pliables, that's what we're talking about now. You know, the cart that I bought, like, I went out and I bought all used equipment. I finagled any way that I possibly could. Oh, we're going to get into that. Don't you worry. I love how you guys approach this, yeah. this restaurant concept. I mean, like, like, everything. Like, even the virtual roller coasters with Brian, like, 
We knew what we were getting into, but we leveraged a lot of our relationships from growing up the Jersey Shore with the family that owned the boardwalk and to make sure that we weren't putting ourselves in like, I don't know, like risk of going bankrupt at the age of like 19 yeah. or 20. So I don't like borrowing money from people at all. My dad's taught me that life, you know, that life lesson as well. Like borrowing money from people is to me like sacrilege. Like I will never do it um, unless I absolutely have to. But uh well, those are the two entrepreneurial examples. I mean, there's other ones. I, I love that that idea of not borrowing money because I, I get worried because you, you see everybody like when they want to open a restaurant, the, the first place their mind goes to like, I need to raise capital. Yeah, I need to get money. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, you just need to start where you can. And if that's it's not exactly your own you hard earned money, or it's not like something that. Listen, if I borrow money from it's everybody's. It's human nature. I think you borrow like a million dollars from somebody. It's not as important to you because it's your money and what you did. That's just the way I look at it. And that's why. You know, even like pliables, we have franchisees, and we don't. I don't allow franchisees to borrow money from other people to open up stores. I mean, I've had friends of friends and their kids come to me and go, "I want to open a pliables. I'm going to borrow this money from my parents." I'm going, "No, you're not." Okay, so get into why more detail as to why it's not okay to borrow money. Why is that such a bad idea? Why do you steer people away from that? Like I just kind of hit on like. It, I I'm trying to come up with the right wording of why. Like, it's just this feeling that I get. I, I watch people a lot. I, I analyze people. And what I notice when they work with other people's money, they don't work the way that they would do it if it was their own money. Why is Not that? saying that they're bad people. More risk? Or what are they doing? What are they doing differently? Because they know that they can run away from that situation if they borrow money from somebody. And people do screw people over a lot. You know, yeah. whether it's friendships, family, you borrow money from somebody, it's borrowing. They're not like... You're not going to go to fucking jail if you don't pay it back. So you know you can run away from that. I borrowed $10,000 from Joe Schmo, who's my friend, and I fail, and I've got no money to give back to Joe Schmo. What's he going to do? Yeah. And Nothing. the other thing is that that becomes a liability. Now you owe somebody. Now you're going to be making decisions based off of, I need to get this person's the, their return back. And you're making decisions based off money and what's going to make the most. Yeah. And, it, and I think it, pl- it strips you from the ability to play the long game, you yeah. know, to make the like the decisions that are right for you and what you're trying to do. Do you, do you have thoughts on that? Can you still I, hear me? What you said is dead on. <laughs> yeah. What you said is dead on, right? And for me, like, it's hard to do these kind of like talks because everybody's so different, right? Yeah. Everybody's got different personalities and my personality so is true, fucking unique beyond belief. And, you know, if... If I'm using my own money, I perform really well under stress. Mm. Like, I won't sleep and I'll keep figuring ways out to make things work and change things up and just do things in different ways where a lot of other people that are in that position, especially the people that borrowed money, a lot of their easy way to go about it is just say, I'm fucking done. I quit and walk away. And I've had people in my life that do that a lot where it's like, I've lent money to people against my better judgment and I've seen exactly happen what I'm saying. It, yep. it happens all the time. Yep, man. I'm loving this conversation. We're going to take our first break to thank our sponsors. We'll come back to start talking about getting really into the story of Pliable and how you guys built nice. this. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you already use and trust like toast, turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months absolutely free. Head over to 
www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Get on it. We're back. And now I just really want to start diving into the story of pliable. I'm starting with your original, like, I guess like how you met Abby, like how did you guys start even like getting on each other's radar? Yeah. Uh, Belmar, 2016. I'm 32 years old. I was single at the time, living up the Jersey Shore lifestyle. Um, she was a bartender. We both surfed. We both had a lot of uh, mutual people that we were like in the group uh, within Monmouth County. Um, caught my eye surfing one day. I had a cheesy pickup line. Didn't work <laughs> at all. And then I saw her Do you, a couple. Do you remember it? Uh, it was a, something stupid about a wetsuit. Like every every guy was wearing a wetsuit, and she wasn't wearing a wetsuit. And it was like summer. I'm like, oh wow, you're really tough. It was just a really stupid. I was like, I didn't know what I was saying. Yeah. And then um, I saw her bartending uh, at DJs, and one of her friends or one of my friends were like, oh, she's into you, and that's where we we put okay. in. That's where we started. And this was 2016. For some reason, in my mind, I thought you guys opened 2014. Yeah, 2014. Okay, thank you, okay. thank you, Eric. No, 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 thank you good. for the editorial. I do a little bit of research. Um, so, 2014, uh, you guys started dating. You're working in the medical field. She's a bartender, trying to figure out what she wants to do with herself. Yeah, you guys are brainstorming. Take us to that point where, like, you kind of already mentioned it earlier. Uh, it was brainstorming. With it was subconsciously brainstorming about a cool, fun thing that we could possibly do. I mean, I always envied her artwork, her mm-hmm. artistic ability, and I'm not, I'm not an artistic person when it comes to drawing. I'm more of an artistic person in my brain. And um, I just knew we'd, we'd just have fun and we'd come up with these funny ideas. And she always comes up with these funny, witty, like, comments, like, go bowls deep, for instance, for pliables. <laughs> we don't use it very often anymore because we go a little bit more PG, but yeah. you know, things like that, Abby always created. And I knew that businesses with like, that kind of catchphrase, especially 2014, that was kind of the boom of Instagram, social media. Yeah. Um, and I saw this kind of like, all right, you got two Jersey Shore surf kids. You know, at the time I had a six pack, and right now I'm far <laughs> from, but. You know, I, I knew we were on to something with healthy lifestyle eating at the Jersey Shore, and uh, it kept we kept brainstorming and traveling, and everywhere I travel, like I legit love acai bowls, and I'm a foodie. So when I came back to Jersey, I'm not gonna lie, there was an acai, a couple acai places in Jersey, um, not specifically acai. There's like a taco joint that was doing acai bowls, and you know, no knock to them, I mean, because everybody grows and they get better as you. They're sucked, and I was like, damn, like I really I'm jonesing for a good acai bowl. And that's where I kept put, you know, putting it in Abby's head. I'm going, if we do an off-label and we do it proper, we're going to blow up. I go, I know it. And that's why we kept like, I kept pushing her again just to go, let's, let's do this. Yeah. So like, what were like the big things in like the early days that were maybe like holding you back from taking the leap? Like what finally pushed you guys over the edge to actually take the leap? Take, take us to that point where you, where you made the decision to commit. There was no leap. I, there, there's two, two points to that. The first one, there was no real leap. Like I said okay. earlier... You know, the calculated risk that I, I still kept my job. I was still going into the operating room doing surgery. She was still bartending. Um, I kept it like a hobby in the beginning. But now where it comes into where I made, really made that leap, fast forward a year later, actually a year and a half later, you know, what's fair to my boss is that for the medical device company, I knew this in my mind. I said, the second that I start taking away from them, it's stealing. Like, I don't want to be working for them while doing my side business. I said, the second that it affects my real job, I've got to give them notice, and that was the real leap for me. Going yeah, now, you're in. All right, I'm giving up my. Now you're bulls deep. Yeah, I was like, I'm going bulls deep now, like giving up my six figure salary yeah, yeah. to go sell acai bowls on the side of the road. That was the pivotal change. That was the turning point for me in my life. Okay, um, but again, I sat there. I talked to my mentors, my dad, my brothers, and going, 
you know, we saw the lines down the road. I, I just like still f- fast forward six years. We're looking to your to your right and my left. You know, middle of uh, the fall, New Hampshire. We're selling frozen bowls. Like, I still get nervous every night though. Going, this could end any second. Keep keep working as hard as you possibly can to keep this going. Yeah, and that, I think that's a good lesson right there in itself is that it could end at any point. So you have yeah. to remind yourself to keep pushing. As soon as you take your foot off the accelerator, you know, like if things start to fall. And yeah. I still get nervous for every interview. So I think that if you have that level of that, a little bit of angst, a little bit of anxiety, or a little bit of nerves going into every day, every new opening, like I think that's a good sign. It shows yeah. that you still give an F. Um, so like Paint that picture of what you guys had getting started. Like, wh- like what was like what was your situation on day one when you set up the, the pop up the first time? The the cart, yeah, the cart, the cart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love painting this picture. It was literally we went to Kmart. We brought a picnic table, like yep. a little glass like picnic table that you would put like a bar in your backyard. A used piece of refrigeration that was a pile of shit. An umbrella from Kohl's that I had Abby paint. Um, and then a little menu board from Michael's Home Goods that Abby also painted with our three menu items. A chocolate lab that laid out in front of the stand every day, which is my, my dog, Dolce. She passed <laughs> yeah. away, but I have a new chocolate lab. Um, and it was legit in, on Ocean Avenue, um, work as busy as could be in the summertime. And you see me and Abby, I'm wearing a bathing suit. She's wearing a bikini. We're blending fruit. I have a chocolate lab laying out front. An umbrella, a crazy pizza guy that we were renting from, Jimmy, which I still love to this very day. Old Greek drunk guy that was that yells at everybody. <laughs> I have extension cords running up the stairs to our apartment because we lived right in front. We lived above the pizzeria. So I had two roommates, extension cords running up the stairs, 10 cases of bananas going down the stairs, a refrigerator in our living room filled with acai. So it, it was quite the scene. It was... Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I encourage people just to start all the time. Just start. Like, you're going to do a lot of things wrong. You're not even going to know what you're doing wrong. Yeah. But just start and, like, figure it out as you go. Don't let anything stop you from starting. It does not take much to start. Work your your, your network. For you guys, that was the guy that was downstairs, right? Yeah. And, and this your support system's there if you if you look for it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So get into that and, like, how you guys even approach this guy and what, what made him, like, why, why did he agree in the first place? So... Jimmy is one of the Jimmy's like my father He reminds me a lot of my father yeah. You know they little, little different He's Greek My dad's Jimmy Italian the Jimmy yeah. the Greek yeah. uh, Big uh, handlebar mustache nice. Got a reputation in town Like uh, let me paint a picture Of Jimmy really quick He has a banner made That's about 10 by 10 On the front of the pizzeria That says voted number one Pizza and breakfast At the Jersey Shore Nobody ever voted that <laughs> Ever So that just paints your picture Right there Jimmy the Greek Um <laughs> You know, he'd come up to my apartment. I mean, Abby lived with me for a while. And before we started the acai stand, Jimmy would just stroll up into our apartment and drink all of our booze from, like, the night before when we had parties. We'd, like, lay on the couch drinking booze. And Abby's like, why are you letting this guy do this? <laughs> I said, you want to know why? I go, because he's not harming me. And I knew there was an opportunity. Like, I always envied the fact of his pizzeria and seeing a line down the road. Long and behold, when we came up with this idea... I treated Jimmy really well. I mean, yeah. I let him come up to the apartment. We always joked around. We sat there, had a beer with each other. And the way that I approached it with them, because I asked Abby to do it. I said, go to Jimmy. She's like, I'm not doing it because she was kind of scared of him at the time. I said, I'll do it. So I go, Abby, make me an acai bowl real quick. So she made one upstairs. I went downstairs with the, the acai bowl and I handed it to Jimmy. I go, Jimmy, I go, try this. I go, let, I go see what you think about this because I want to sell this in front of your pizza store. With his mustache handlebar, gets the acai, gets it all in his mustache handlebar because he's drunk as shit. And he goes, what is this shit? I go, it's not shit, it's acai. He goes, it's really good. I was like, I know it's good. I go, let me set up a little cart in front. We talked logistics a little bit because obviously there's health codes. You know, 
not beating the system, but we had to figure a way that we can sell off site on the side of the road and have the three compartment sink and yeah, so on like and so usually, forth. When you're that small, you usually get a couple warnings before. And you, you know what I mean? Like, you can... I don't want to encourage people to break the law. And I'm not saying, I mean, maybe. Well, Eric, what you're saying is, I'll up. cut you off, but I'll cut you off by saying you're absolutely right, though. It's about pushing. Like, I can't do that anymore with how big pliables yeah. is. I cannot do that. But in the beginning, as an entrepreneur. What do you have to lose? A couple tables in a blender? Like, you have nothing to lose. Just try. I have a phrase. It's called, and if people have probably heard this before in the entrepreneurial world, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Yes. And you do it, and you're right. You'll get a couple of gimmies. If you push it too hard, then they start Don't looking at you. Don't use it, you know, but do what you got to do to get started. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I love it, man. So, okay, take us through the first couple of weeks into like the first couple of months of like what this was like, the lessons you were learning, the things that you learned the hard way yeah. that you can prevent my listeners from making those same mistakes. Uh, we, I mean, when we started the cart, you know, we had this, you know, I had this premonition that we were going to have a line down the road right off the bat and... No, I think as an entrepreneur, if you have an idea, that's what you would hope for. Like, you know, you started a podcast, and like, I'm gonna have a million listeners, and but you gotta, you gotta work to get there to that point. And I didn't know that in the beginning. Like, I didn't, not that I didn't know that. I was, um, I was very idealistic, going, you know, there's no other site here. They're gonna, you know, come lining. So, long story short, we started the cart. We had no customers for the first three weeks, and I was, well, I was depressed. I'm right. sitting on my balcony with a Corona, and I'm like. I had to go around the corner. I cried a couple of times. Abby would come around the corner and grab me and be like, wake up. She's like, what are you doing? Like, yell at me. Yeah. And I just realized, I mean, for listeners and what to do, what not to do. Again, going back to the, you know, the quote that I had in the beginning. Don't give up. I mean, unless you really just are throwing you know, the towel and saying, I'm done. Don't give up. What I did was I sat there. I analyzed and I made changes, small tweaks to our little our little cart outside. Now, just because the cart was put out there and we did it you know, the first time, which is a lot of work. You know, I had Abby... Let me just give you examples. We changed the umbrella color. Mm-hmm. And I had Abby put different prints on there because I, I realized that when you go on the beach, it was easier to see that color of the umbrella from the beach. And we put like acai in the front of it. Um, and we put smoothies because at that time, nobody knew what acai was. Yeah. So I had her put smoothies next to the acai. And now all of a sudden, people started going, oh, smoothies. Yeah. Everybody loves smoothies. Mm-hmm. Then we introduced the acai to them. You know... I realized also like our blenders, you know, we had two employees at the time. Brenna, who's actually here right now, is our first employee. We had she no customer. I met when, at the door? Yeah. Oh, she's no, our first employee yeah, of all nice. time. That's so cool. And like, I was watching customers walk by and I'm looking at our car and I'm like, why are they not looking? So I told my employees, I go, run that blender all day long. I don't care if you put ice and water in there and just run it. And what I realized as I watched from the balcony down is that when the blender was going, Crowds attract crowds. Mm. So you see a couple of people stop, walk up to the stand. If I had two people online for that stand, inevitably four, six, eight, it just started lining up. But we needed to start creating that little momentum to get us going. You know, we had a menu board and I would always switch the menu board to like face different directions so people can actually see it. Small tweaks and modifications. So that would be my biggest advice to your listeners, whether they're in the tech world, whatever. You know, social media, Instagram, make changes. Don't just stick with what's not working. Yeah. yeah. Show up better every day, just a little bit better than you were yesterday. And it compounds, that compounding effect. And just like, I think the big, that's the big takeaway I'm getting from that, at least, is don't quit. Just keep adapting, keep doing new things. Uh, What about like other, just like like clear mistakes reflecting back on the early, say, the first six months to a year? Like, when did you guys really start to like pick up momentum where there was like like a, a consistent line? Like, like when did that happen? I've, I've got that question asked a million times, and I don't want to come off as uh, it's not egotistical, but Abby and I were really lucky where we didn't we didn't run into that many failures in the very beginning. I mean, there was challenges, for, you know, for sure, 
um, you know, we were threatened to be shut down a couple of times by the town. Yeah. You know, I started pressing the panic button and I'd go to people in town that owned restaurants going, you know, can you help me? What, you know, what do you think I should do? And my motto is if you treat people right and you're nice to people, they're going to treat you really nice and take care of you too. Yeah. And luckily enough for me, people in the town rallied around us and they wanted to see us succeed. Yes. If they didn't like us, they'd be like, fuck these kids. Dude, honestly, get off the side I of the think road. that's how I became a commercial pilot. Swear to God, because I like I had to work twice as hard to get to where I was, but people saw that I was a good person that was busting my ass to yeah. get there. And like people will rally behind you to push you through to get you to where you need to be. It's true. You don't have to be the best at everything if you're a great person and you take care of other people. Yeah. It comes back around. People like sure. seeing other good people like seeing good people succeed. For sure. People don't like seeing bad people succeed absolutely so okay like what, take us through the transition of having like this like table in front of a pizza place to having your first location was it down the street was it nearby like what was that first brick and mortar situation yeah like? well hurricane sandy hit jersey shore 2015 yeah year after we opened the car uh oh no i'm sorry it was it was the year it was like the year before and we had a gym next to us it was called belmar fitness that sat dormant for two or three years the guy joel who owned it moved down to florida the building got ravaged by Hurricane Sandy, and it just sat there like a big pile of shit. And one of the local guys in town, Robert, actually owned it. And again, treating people good, and people really wanted to see us succeed. They recognized one of the problems that we were having. Every time it rained outside, Abby and I had to break the cart down, put it inside, and we lost all of our business. Mm. Storefronts, you don't have that. Yeah. You can have customers come inside when it rains, sit down and eat. So I'm going to keep this as short as possible. I mean, the guy came to us with an opportunity. He came to me, and he said, listen... He goes, go into my building. He goes, you and Abby can use it for the rest of this summer. No rent. Take care of it. Whatever you want to do. I'm going to sell it when you guys are done in a year. I'm like, all right. So I went to the building the next day. And I go to my friend, Nick, who owns an Italian restaurant in town. I'm like, come down with me. I'm like, give me some advice here on what you think. We brought a contractor with us. Typical Jersey contractors. It's Frank Dinatale. He walks in there to give me a price out on the, the build out of our little like pliables inside the storefront. And uh, at the time... Frank walked around. He's like, this is broken. That's broken. This is... And we walked in, dude. No joke, Eric. The carpet was... Fuck. It was still, like, moldy from Hurricane Sandy. The ceiling was falling down. Squirrels were running through the entire thing. Every (laughs) copper pipe was burst in that entire building. And I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, well, this is going to be easy because I'm going to throw a car inside the building. (laughs) But Frank went there and he's like, listen, kiddo. He goes, I'll get it done for you in 10 days. He goes... And that's the way people operate in Jersey. He's like, I'll get it done for you in 10 days. But you got to give me $90,000. I go, $90,000? go, not a chance. And guys, I actually broke down crying because I had my like goals that I was going to do this. Yeah. And I basically, I broke down and I got really upset with Frank. He left and I was talking to Nick and Nick's one of my best friends this very day, big restaurateur. And he pulled me aside. He goes, what's wrong with you? He's like, you got construction background. He goes, you know people in town. He goes, rally it all together and just do it yourself. He goes, don't have Frank do it. Yeah. And he woke me up And no joke Eric 17 days I didn't sleep I didn't eat I got all the people That I knew from construction My friend Eric Who's a, a union plumber My friend Ryan Who's a union carpenter And they came in They didn't do it for free But they like really hooked well, me up That's the $90,000 That's the 90000 They hooked me up And we 17 days We got the whole entire thing Built out The town rallied around us Permits The mayor pushed everything Through for us And we opened up <coughs> Sorry Um Fourth of July morning, which is like the biggest holiday season for the Jersey Shore, at eight o'clock in the morning. And I remember, like yesterday, when we opened those doors, the music was playing. 
We had like 100 people inside of our store. Oh and that gosh. was like the high five success story. We we're like, Dude, holy shit. And that was the real incredible. takeoff point. Dude, that's incredible. So um, so we've learned up to this point, one, that you're kind of a crybaby. But two, yeah. more importantly, <laughs> is that... I'm the youngest of three boys. <laughs> so yes, I'm a crybaby. More importantly, it's just this mentality of just like tap into that frontal lobe. Get creative. Don't say we can't do it. Say how can we do it. Yeah. And then just start thinking creatively that you're, you'll be surprised with the solutions you come up with. Yeah. Right? The net, like again, leveraging your network. And, and like what, what is it about you that you, you think you have this network? network and how did you develop that network in the first place bro it's funny you said that like i like this podcast a lot what we're talking about because it's actually making me think a little bit like a lot of entrepreneurs that i know one of the key characteristics and i would say more of a negative thing that i see from them is they're resistant to getting outside help yeah they want to do it themselves they're an entrepreneur they're doing it themselves whatever they say goes i'm like i'll be i'm I'm the complete opposite of that i actually like when people tell me how to do something and i don't take it the wrong way i'm like I might say no off the get-go and kind of like think it through and say, okay, you know, that was a good idea and give credit where credit's due. Even with my team right now for Pliables, we've got 10 corporate managers, like my beginning of Pliables, like I always listen to everybody. There's this local yokel guy, Mike Drews, who told me to move my cart out 10 feet further, even though the town wasn't allowing it. And I'll still give him my credit when I see him. Like that 10 feet that you told me about, I go, change the fucking game for our cart out there. And he holds me to it all the time. So I have to buy him a drink when I see him at the restaurant. And that's just so you can have the cue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, little things like that. Man. Little things, man. So, okay, now you you have a brick and mortar. You have a location. What? I mean, we we have only so much time to dive into how you go from this situation that you're painting the picture for, uh, like in in 2014, 2015, five years later, 99 locations. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you squeeze that into like another 30 minutes of conversation. Well, but- I, I can make it quick too, to be honest with you. I mean, we went to that brick and mortar, built it in 17 days, wildly successful. And my business model was going to be to go to other Jersey Shore towns and find more Jimmys in all these towns. And asked to put carts in front of their stores. Okay. Start small, like, you know, almost like a food truck, you know, model. Um, what I realized really quick, that was really hard. A lot of the pizza guys weren't like Jimmy, and they basically told me to F off when I went to them. They're like, no, I'll just do it myself. I don't need you. So, long and behold, um, it's actually a Kushner property, Jared Kushner, Donald Trump's. They own a big piece of property in. Um, Long Branch, New Jersey, called Pier Village. Okay. Super high profile, New York City ites. They all go there for the summertime. And I thought that was out of our league for Plyables at the time, store number three. But they showed interest in us, and we really had to sell them. Like, we went to like four meetings with them. We did all presentations, me, Abby, and our former partner, Desi. And we had to sell ourselves to the landlord to get us in there. And they finally said yes to us, and then we got the, the LOI from them, which I didn't even know what LOI stood for at that time. Um, actually, I still don't know what it stands for. <laughs> um, no, but letter we, of intent? Letter of intent. We, yeah. we got the letter of intent, and you know, we saw it, and I read through it, and then I saw the rent at the end. I go, what? I go, per year, or is that per month? <laughs> and it was, t- it was $10,000 a month, wow. and that was times 10, actually times 20 of what we were paying anywhere else. Wow. And I remember my partner, you know, Abby's father, and other people like, out around me going, you can't do it. It's too risky. And I just knew in my mind, I go... We have to do this. I go, because this will put us on the map. I get all these investors that come from New York City, all these like wealthy people. They're going to see the power of pliables, and they're going to love it and want it in their own towns. And that's your long story short. I mean, I put it, placed it perfectly. I mean, I was the most proud moment in my entire life, seeing pliables right next to Lululemon, some high-profile like you know retail. And then I saw pliables next to it. I go, here we go, off to the races. And long and behold, Pure Village still does $2 million a year. 
our rent's still astronomically high because I didn't know how to negotiate a lease at the yeah. time. <laughs> but uh, I don't care how much money we make there because it put us on the map. That was our that was our marketing you know so, endeavor. Uh, distill the lesson there, like crunch that lesson down. Like, what's the big takeaway from what you share with us? Well, that one is, you know, that's just in the realm of, you know, just risk. Just pure, that was do or die right there. That's like you're in, you're in Atlantic City or Las Vegas and you're up $5,000 at the blackjack table. Like, I just went all in on it because I knew that, you know, we can keep grinding and go slow. But you also, I was fighting the, the marketplace too. At that time, there were no acai shops. We were the number one acai shop. And I still believe that we are firmly. I'm watching other competitors. But younger, Rob, you know, five years ago, I knew I was in a race, a foot race with copycat competitors, competition coming into town. And I knew that was our time to strike because if anybody else did what we did, we'd be second or third place, which we're not right now. We're first place. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing, what is it? I mean, is it because of what you were doing and where you were doing it that like you, you mentioned Lululemon was like right down the street. So now yeah. you're, you're, you're close to your target market where... Because what was your brand at this point? Was it as fine-tuned as it is now where it's surfer slash health slash... Yeah. Like a little what bit was more, going on? A little bit more rough around the edges. I mean, our, our build-outs were nowhere near as nice. But, you know, as you rapidly expand, like you said, store 99, store 100, I mean, it gets harder to start sourcing out certain things. Like dealing with Josh and Carrie, you look around this store. You know, I still pick the surfboards for every single store. You know, I go to a local board shop. I ship them out to them. Um, the reclaimed wood we get locally, um, you know, locally for us in, in Jersey, and we ship up here. I mean, it, it's getting harder and harder. So I don't know. I think that's you know, the old pliables had the heart and feel of Robin Abbey in it, and it still does to this very day, which is the key to the success. I mean, yeah. listen I, again. I, I've done podcasts before. Where they're like I talk about our product. You know, if I started using fake reclaimed wood, shitty surfboards that were bought on Amazon, will that really drive customers away from our store? I don't know, but I'll tell you something. I don't want to find out because that's what it means a lot. Like I came here yesterday for the first time. I walked in. I was like, "Whoa, this store is really cool." Nice. Yeah. I love that. And I love that. I mean, did you say you go to the same short, the same surf shop every time they get those boards? And Give it, there's three of them around me. Well, but the thing about that, like what you're doing for the local economy within just like purchasing surfboards to hang on ceilings, you're supporting people. You yeah, know? it's not just you, but you're, you're you're leaning into those continued relationships. Yeah. Uh, but beyond this, um, like. Paint the picture for like the, the dynamic of your your business partnership with Abby because I know she obviously is a huge part of this. She's not here with us today, but yeah. like, how did you guys complement each other? Um, I, I hit up on it before where you know again Abby is a very uh, you know she's the CMO right now, the marketing. But to me, marketing is business altogether. I mean, if you don't have any marketing, you have no business. And I think Abby and I, even though we don't work hand in hand like we used to. We're still on the same page because we love this like our child. This is like, all right, we're divorced essentially. I mean, not legally divorced, but as you know, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend, we're not together anymore, and this is still our baby. Well, this is I think this is really important because we, people when we talk about business, we always talk about like the the little details, the logistical things, like the the tangible stuff. But yeah. a big part of business is relationships. A big part of like the people you're going into business with, those relationships, those partnerships, and like how do you find that balance of like. You know, like you, you're no longer "quote unquote" together in like a yeah. personal relationship, but you're still married to each other because you're business partners. Like, how do you, like take us? Like, I'm sure that's not the only time this has happened. You know, <laughs> so like, how do you find that balance? How do you make? How do you focus on the baby, which is the, the yeah. business? Um, it's hard. Yeah, like, respect's the biggest word, right? Yeah. I mean, Abby knows who I am. She knows that you know I'm a go getter, and I'm constantly moving and moving and moving and pushing people and. 
coming up with these crazy ideas, and everybody goes, wow, Rob's nuts. Like, we're never going to get that done. But I push people really hard. Yeah. And as a partner, she respects that a lot. I mean, you know, we talk about boyfriend and girlfriend. Maybe not, you know, obviously we're not together anymore. We didn't have that, you know, mutual understanding. But when it comes to the business, I think she respects me mm. enough to know, all right, I got to trust him. If she didn't trust me or didn't like what I was doing, it'd be a different story. And vice versa. I have respect for her. You know, the marketing side, like I said earlier. She's got that. She's that got that. Like, we come up with new products charm. all the time. And the first person I think of, I go, ask Abby what we're going to name it. Or ask Abby how we can make it cooler. I mean, that's kind of... Abby was... When I first started dating her, we're both getting a little bit older now. And I still think we're cool. But every, every older guy thinks that they're cool. I, say, I still think she's cool. Like I go I'm to sure her. Sure, she's not the CCO, the Chief Coolness Officer. She might be the. That's actually a pretty. Good, I don't want that title. Though. I can't give her that one. Right. I mean, the assistant to the CCO. There you go. Assistant um, to the regional manager. So okay, we. I, I know. I know you and your your now future, fiance wife are going to plan on going for hikes. So I want to respect your time, but we got to think about wrapping up the conversation. But we have to talk about the, the that weird time from going to like one or two locations to really knowing you have something and and trying to like to scale that knowing you have something and trying to scale that right yeah, so yeah. take us through that like you know you're two years into this you're three years into this and you like how did you like really scale this thing what were the challenges you faced when you're trying to take it to the next level well in the beginning it was you know like I said I had a, I had a tough time finding landlords to agree to even getting us into a location whether that was the pizza guys at the Jersey Shore or the Kushner family in Pure Village we had to sell. I had to sell myself. I had to sell Abby. I had to sell our partnership, the brand, our team, our product. Um, fast forward five, six years, it's kind of the opposite now. Landlords are selling us on getting pliables into their shopping centers. I mean, I used to listen to Danny Myers on podcasts and a lot of his talks. He's the, the Shake Shack guy. Yeah. And you know, his biggest thing was you know co-tenancy. Like you know, who's around you? You know, what businesses are around you? Who you're surrounding yourself with? And that's a really important decision for us to make now as a brand pliables because we have a big following, as you can see. Like, you know, so I want to make sure when we go into co-tenancy that it's the right mix, the right fit. Um, I don't know if I answered your question the right no, way. No, you did. Like, you're talking about things to consider when scaling. You say co co tenancy. What What are you saying though? Like co tenancy. Like, who's who's your co tenants within a shopping center? I mean. Listen, the most desirable thing is I'd love to have all standalones. Standalones for pliables. I mean, finding a 1,400-square-foot standalone is not the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, we do have a couple standalones, Fort Lauderdale. But um, you know, for the most part, someone like us, a fast, casual restaurant, you're going to be in the mix with other tenants. I mean, in this one, we've got Orange Theory. I mean, I know there's new tenants coming in here. Uh, Josh told me about a new restaurant coming in next door. Um, you know, to work in, co- you know, to work together with them is important too. I mean, I've had shopping centers where, you know, we'll move in and there'll be like a pizzeria three doors down, and they're pissed off that we're coming in because the way they thought about it was they're going to take away our business, and that's the complete opposite way that I think. Going, whoa, 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 yeah. Let me show you some numbers about what we did to Jimmy's Pizza year two and year three. Jimmy still high fives me. He he did, he went from doing two hundred fifty thousand dollars a summer to five hundred thousand wow. dollars two summers later. Yeah, you know, it's that. Um, What's that word? I'm trying. It's not cohesiveness. It's like that. It's like just synergy ecosystem. Synergy. You're creating an eco. Co, it's co-tenancy, but it's a, a coexistence. Yeah. You know, like how like, and I think that that's that mentality, that coexistence, that you should have that same mentality with just your your neighbors that are in the same um, strip mall as you, as the same. You should you should that should bleed into all the other restaurants in your your community, right? And I yeah. think that like what is like the mentality you have though? Like really paint that picture of the mentality you need to to have this coexistence with other people. You have to be a smart business person. I don't, don't want to say that so like like in brash, but it's true like 
you know, I've got friends that own Billabong, other things like we, they always want to like team up with us and do like giveaways. Or you know, my brother opened down in uh, in uh, Ken, uh, Kensington, uh, Maryland, and like the people around came with like gift baskets that day, and they were yeah. like, "Welcome to the shopping center," and they just had like this friendship and this like. Where again, I've had other tenants that are like standoffish. They call the cops for us for parking in their parking spots, and that creates just a complete disaster. Yeah. I mean, it, and I've had it happen a few times where I've stepped in, my vice president have stepped in, and we had to talk with them. We're like, "Do you understand the damage that you're doing? Our customers like are seeing us fight. It gets around town really quick that the owner of my John's Mike sub is calling the police on pliables. Go, you don't want that. Yeah. It's just yeah. not a good look for anybody. I mean, but you mentioned something earlier, just this, this idea of like looking at other people and seeing not competition, but collaboration. Collaboration. And seeing what do you have that we need? Or what do we have that you need? Or just how can we support each other and promote each other? And yeah. It's always those who choose to go together who go much further, right? Yeah. You might be able to get there faster if you go alone, but will it be as good, you know? Like, will you have that support? Isn't that, I mean, that's what we talked about earlier about, yeah. you know, entrepreneurial spirit. And like I said, I've, I've pinned some entrepreneurs that don't like getting outside guidance, advice. And, yeah. you know, you see a lot of these other guys out there. And, you know, listen, again, personalities play a big part of this. You know, you got old school guys that grew up a different way, understood things a different way. But for your listeners that are our age, even younger, I mean, that's the one thing they should take home is that, you know, collaborate with people, you know, yep, get man. advice from other people, work with other people, especially successful ones. I mean, you're just, you're bettering your odds for you to succeed yourself. Give me some examples of the best collaborations you've done. You know, that anybody could like look at that and get inspiration from that collaboration. It's just definitely in- a smoothie job. Internally or, with, we got, well, we got blenders, yeah, blenders bu- blasting in, in the place. Back. Jesus <laughs> yeah, Christ, we need a DJ. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, collaborations like internally with pliables, uh, you know, Samba's on Acai when we first started. I mean, they were the pioneers of Acai. Ryan and Jeremy were like the cool surfer guys. And bro, we had like four other Acai shops reach out. To, not Acai shops, like Acai manufacturers. Okay. They weren't as cool as Jeremy and, and Ryan. They weren't as like um, unique. They weren't as authentic. But they came to me at prices. I mean, their whole selling pitch to me was, you know, we can give it to you for half price. And I'm like... That doesn't matter to me. So I collaborated with Samazon, who had a good Instagram following, who had the coolness factor to them. And that's what I attribute to a lot of our success. Like, I picked them as our, you know, and I'm still friends with Ryan, even though we make our own acai now. And, you know, we're friendly collaborators. Like, you know, the better that we paint a picture that acai is good for you, Ryan does just as well. And, and he gets that. That's why we're still friends. I love it, man. Um, so, one thing I, I picked up that you guys do really well uh, is you have this this culture that it seems everybody who in the interviews I saw said it's like being in a family. Um, is that more Abby's angle? Is she more like the, the, the culture or she's CMO? What, like what role did you have on developing the culture here? I mean, the culture developed naturally, and I don't want to sound so like, you know, idealistically. Our employees are our culture. I mean, you look at most of our stores, and they're young, they're energetic, they're college students, they're high school students. They are, and they participate in the local community. And I remember when I had it, when I was 17 years old, I worked at the Frog Bog in Jersey Shore. I had headphones on and, you know, everybody would walk by and I was this chunky little kid. I don't know if you guys know what the Frog Bog is. No, I don't. But. It's a Jersey Shore like arcade game where okay. like you put this like rubber frog on top of this like metal thing, you hit it and you got to get into a lily pad to win a prize. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So my whole gimmick was get him up, get him in, try it out now. Three soggy <laughs> froggies for a dollar. Like I was that guy <laughs> and my job sucked. I hated it. I was embarrassed. Like his, I went to high school, I saw it, but... You could like look at the pliables employees, dude. They love pliables 
if not more than Abby and I do. Like, they love coming to work. It's fun. Yeah. Um, they feel like they're part of, like, a family. They feel like well, they're part of a cool culture. I kind of feel like what you did is you tapped into a psychographic, right? And I think that, the, the, especially for brands similar to what you guys are doing right now, there's this movement with um, health forward, you know, food as medicine, food yeah. as, like, and people are really being really intentional with what they eat. But when you do something that is... That's, that's bigger than just a restaurant. You attract onto yourself yeah. really great people. So what is it that's really great about Pliables that nobody else, nobody else was doing that that awarded you these incredible people? Like what was it that that, that drew these people in? I think they they saw you know they saw Abby and I mean first of all lead by example. So yeah. when we first started Pliables, you know Abby and I were the ones behind the counter grinding. I mean there were there were days where Abby and I would serve three hundred customers by ourselves because three of our employees called out because they were the stomach flu quote unquote. But yeah. we all knew they they went out the day before. Um, I think <laughs> they recognized our hard work and our leadership. Um, they saw that we were pretty cool that we served and you know in the beginning we would literally shut the store down for like an hour. Uh, not the store, the car for like an hour. And we go surfing. We put a sign like on the car that said "Gone Surfing," and um, we try carrying that over right now too. I, I mean, we can't do that at most of our yeah. stores where it's like shut down and go surfing. But for our corporate stores, especially, if an employee comes to us, they feel comfortable going, "Hey, I just can't come to work." And we have this policy, no problem. But make sure they have you know someone covering you. And I think they they, they feel comfortable and relaxed around us. I love it. Uh, and I think that this is something that I see. It's definitely a trend that when the business is an extension of who the people are behind the business, which I think Pliables is an, absolutely an example of that. Like, Abby was obsessed with bowls. It was her passion. She was, yeah. And then she just she extended her passion into her business. And you guys, you, you, your other interests also reflect on this business. Your, your surfing, your, your wellness, your interest in wellness, and like all that. Yeah. And I feel like when you do that, it's like you create this soul that is just so appealing and attracting and people who identify with those same values yeah. are going to come be with you because you put yourself out there and you let everybody know who you are and what you stand for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that for sure. Um, okay, so I mean, we got to start thinking about wrapping up the conversation. I want to respect your time, but I also, I mean, anything like on a, you know, we talked a lot about like the earlier days, right? But yeah. now scaling from, you know, where you are now, 99 locations, um, almost at 100 locations in six years, what were some of your biggest challenges more recently in this in this moment of scaling like that you can drop on us? Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't call it a challenge. I mean, obviously, money always comes into play, right? Like, do you have enough capital to go on to, you know, the next level? And for Abby and I, we had a huge decision to make approximately two to three years ago where it was, you want to start scaling the way that you do. You've got essentially one of two choices. Either do it corporately, go out and get investment, go out and get a loan, go out and do that and build out corporate stores. Or the franchising model. And two, three years ago, I mean, the way Abby and I thought about it, because we love Pliable so much, and this is no knock. I've said this before, too, so I don't care if we use this. Like, Abby and I always said we didn't want to be the McDonald's or we didn't want to be Burger King. We thought it was cheesy, too corporate, you know, screw them kind of thing. But as we like, grew up and got older, we realized that we can still keep our culture, you know, yep. our personal artist that comes in and builds out these stores with us and does everything. So we chose that franchising model. And to answer your question, what's been the most challenging thing as of recent, you're now introducing a lot more entrepreneurs into your family and your system. My brother's a franchisor of mine. Um, Abby's in-laws are you know, a franchise of ours. Um, nobody likes hearing the word no, especially from the younger brother. Like, you know, no, Jeff, you can't do that. And it's challenging, but if you, have, if you demand enough respect and they see that you're still hardworking, that I'm not just sitting on the beach and doing whatever I want, and I'm still in the stores like... I go to every grand opening. I go to the stores every single day. I'm in every single group chat. I still hold all the meetings. Like I still have passion behind this. And 
No, I'm going off on a tangent, but you know, to answer your question on the challenging part is franchising is really tough. Yeah. You know, again, you have a lot of very smart entrepreneurial people that think they can do it better than you. Yeah. But not understanding it's a franchise model. And yes, there are certainly better ways to do what we do, but it takes time. I always say like Rome wasn't built in a day. We'll get to being better. Like I've had a million franchises. Rob, why don't we do this with these spoons? I'm going, we've thought about it. We've worked on it. I like your input. But now that we're at 99 stores, it's not just easy to make that yeah. change anymore. Yeah. It takes and a lot of time. that's something that you have to sacrifice when you do scale is that when you're, when you're like three or four locations, you're like a little jet ski. Do whatever we want. You're nimble. You can do, you can evolve, you can adapt fast. The bigger you get, the slower your evolution takes because you have to implement that across yeah. all stores, right? Yeah. So like, what do we need to know? What, what things do we take into consideration? Like, how can we protect ourselves from this inevitable challenge, this inevitable hurdle of scaling? Make sure that your fran- make sure that you, your franchisees, your stores, your employees are happy. Mm-hmm. If they're happy, you can do what you just said. Where you said the you know, three to four stores, I come in and I can do whatever I want to do, change things. It was nimble. It was easy. I'm still having... It's a little bit more challenging, but in a good way. I still have that flexibility because our stores are all wildly successful. Our franchisees are very happy. Our employees are very happy. Of course, it's like a family. There's roller coasters and that, but... I can still do what I used to do because I have that respect and I have that leadership where I want to throw something in. Like my corporate team, they still call me crazy. I'll you know text them at 12 o'clock at night and say, hey, I want to do this new product and I want it done in two months. And I know they always joke around like, Rob, you're out of your mind. It's not happening. But I'll tell you something straight up and I hope they listen to this. They're so nasty. They get it done in less time than when I put it on them because they're that good. Yeah, man. And that's why we're that. successful. I love that, man. I really do. Um, anything else we have not discussed up to this point that you think would just be of extreme value to our listeners, anybody trying to recreate what you've done with, with pliables? No. I mean, you, you, you hit upon, I mean, the biggest topics, the challenges, you know, the, overcoming these big challenges, how I did it, resolutions. And I guess the only thing we really didn't hit upon is, you know, the future. Yeah. You know, Actually, before you do that, there was a question I wanted to ask you that I think we'll take that last conversation a bit further. You said the most important thing is keeping your people happy, making sure your people are happy. How do you know they're happy? You can feel it. If, you, if you're truly a, a receptive person, it doesn't take much to know that somebody's not happy. And yeah. it's communication, right? Yeah. I mean, I learned this in college. I learned this through economics, through marketing. Everything is communication. So if you turn a blind eye to it, go, everybody's happy. Everything's, you know, everything is jolly, whether it's yeah. your family members, your girlfriend, your fiance. I mean, bad shit happens when yeah. you get naive like that. And you got to be on top of it. Like me becoming a man and not so much a boy anymore, I communicate with not only my upper management, my middle management, my store managers, the shift leaders. I'm constantly in communication with them, not talking so much, but asking them questions like, hey, so what's going on with your life in this? And like, once you start opening that door, they seem to come around to where their own happiness is. And once yeah. you do that, you can, you can fix it. Communication is absolutely the key. I agree yeah. with you 100%. And to take what we were saying even a step further, uh, and this has resurfaced on the show a couple of times. Uh, first time I heard of it with... with uh, the, the first time I heard of this was with Mike Ganino. He said the number one number that you need to track in your business is a, a scale from one to five every day. How happy are your employees? Make them tell you how happy they are with yeah, things yeah. every day. And you can capture that by when they check out or they clock out, 
ask them five to one yeah. how happy are you and there's tools that let us do this seven shifts this is the second time this came up recently we had the CEO on the show Jordan Bush and with seven shifts our current sponsor you can literally before when people check out they can tell you I'm a five out of five today yeah. and you have a constant but that's communication you have a constant finger on a pulse of the yeah. level of happiness you have to measure that and it seems yeah. like overkill it seems cheesy but it's so powerful do you, you want to reflect on that yeah, no. could you yeah, hear what I was saying it's loud in here no dude everything you just said is dead on and, and then I guess to further your point if you do find out there's unhappiness what do you do yeah that's the real hard part what do you, you know, do finding out that there's unhappiness <laughs> can be easy sometimes unfortunately but then as a CEO as a leader you gotta sit there and go well how am I gonna make it better and I think the mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs leaders CEOs managers that they make is they throw money at it yep uh, I think that's the worst thing you could possibly do yep. you know especially my employees they got their time in life like I remember when I was 17, 18, 19, 20 like Money was not everything to me. Money was actually nothing to me. I know some people are different. They've got different obligations. They might take care of their family. But I've learned that putting money, you know, throwing money at people does not fix anything. You know, really, truly understanding the root, like their happiness of coming to work, or maybe it's their commute of going to work. And how can you fix that? Like, these are things that are more important to them than the actual, am I getting $1,200 a pay period or am I getting $1,150? That $50, is that really going to make them happy? Probably not. Yeah. I love this, man. I love this conversation. Uh, you did allude that you want to talk a little bit about the future. So I'll let you get that out before we go to the speed round. So what are your plans for the future? What- Pliables. World. Worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we can talk about like the COVID-19 and how you've adapted to handle that. I don't know if that's part of your future plan or what do you got? Well, I mean, COVID-19, you know, COVID-19 threw a curve in everybody's plan. And knock on wood, luckily for us, I mean, the first two months were really difficult for, for everybody. It yeah. still is difficult. Um, we've come out on top. We've actually had increases in the past four months through things that we implemented before COVID-19 even hit. Things that we were the, not pioneers, but we jumped on early with. And the first thing that pops into mind, third-party delivery, mm-hmm. DoorDash, Grubhub. And I was on podcasts before COVID-19 hit with other restaurateurs. And we're like, fuck those third-party deliveries. They charge an arm and a leg for them. And I said, and I told the restaurateurs, I'm like, jump on it now. I go, I'm promising you, whether you like it or not, I go, think about it in a different way. Instead of just worrying about the nickels and dimes, I go, you're paying for marketing. I go, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub. I go, you're paying them a fee, but they're marketing across all spectrums for you. Yeah, I mean, I get that angle, and it comes up a lot with, with even the work I do. Say, for example, when I have an affiliate, and I'm like, if I get like a 50% cut, they're yeah. like, well, that's 50% I'm losing. I'm like, it's 50% you would have never had because it's a new expo- it's new exposure, right? Yeah. Where it does get dicey is when people develop habits around the third party, and they don't re- they if you can the challenge is offboarding people from these third party platforms to get becoming loyal to whatever you have, yeah. whatever platform you have. Do you have advice on how to do that, or do you just say use the third party? No, I mean, with with COVID-19 and, and us, with the third-party delivery, like I said earlier, when we jumped on early, A, we gained the respect of these third-party deliveries. DoorDash loves working with us. Yep. And the way that I look at it, and I've said this before, I don't know if people disagree with me just to agree with me, but Amazon, my friends used to sell shit on Amazon all the time. And if you become like a number one seller on Amazon or you sell a lot, you always climb to the top. Like you want a back roller? Yeah. If you jumped on it first and you sold the most, they would, you know, you put in like back roller for Amazon be the first one that popped up. That's the way it kind of is for third-party delivery. If you have a strong track record, volumes of people that go to you, A, these third-party delivery people are going to want to work with you and your customers will see you pop up first. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful because right now, every restaurant and their mother is going on third-party delivery. Which third-party do you think is doing it right right now? 
it all depends on what geographical territory you're in. Like, I live in Belmar. Uber Eats sucks there because they don't have drivers in that territory yet. As compared to DoorDash, that's crushing it. You go to New York City, Hoboken, it's all Uber Eats, Grubhub. So it's all different. I mean, as a as a as a user of third party delivery, because me and my fiance are lazy and she's pregnant. <laughs> um, I've had really good experience with DoorDash. Yeah, um, I think they're a great service provider. Um, but again, that's kind of biased because they're they're strong in my yeah. territory. Yeah. Did, did I cut you short in your future announcements or your future visions or anything like that before no, I pulled I, you off track? Uh, cool shit coming up. I mean, we're going to Littleton, Colorado, nice. um, Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, San Antonio, Texas. Um, you know, those are the furthest west we're going. We're in Louisiana right now, yeah. and. You know, me and my vice president sometimes don't see eye to eye with each other, and he gets a little overzealous. We reel each other in. Like, I think it was a little too early for those three West locations. I know we're still going to do well. Um, my expansion goals, and you're going to see a lot more appliables on the East Coast. Yeah. From Maine down to Florida. Okay. This is a great question. One more follow up question. I promise we're going to go to the speed round. Um, so, when you do have somebody who's like your close second, like a VP, and you start to not have the same vision, you start to not see eye to eye. How do you get realigned? How do you bring them pull back the in? CEO, pull the CEO card. Okay. No, <laughs> no I, I never do that to Gary. Yeah. Um, not to sound so cliche, communication. I mean, yeah. we've had like powwows where, you're right, we started diverging within yeah. our thought process. And if you're a good teammate and you have a good company, I, I've reeled Gary in where I'm like, let's go grab lunch. Let's grab a coffee. I mean, I'm, I'm on the phone with my vice president until 4 o'clock in the morning, and we go at it with each other. Like, yep. no, you're fucking wrong. No, you're wrong. And, like, <laughs> yeah. I love that Gary talks to me the way that he does because, I, again, I hope he listens to this. The reason why we're at 100 stores is because of him. You guys communicate. You have to be able to say anything. You have to be able and willing to say anything. Maybe not act on everything that's said, but at least communicate, right? Yeah. Said. And you cannot over-communicate, yeah. for sure. I've loved this conversation. Before we go to this round, I ask all my guests. I'm so bad at these. Dude, uh, you're going to be great. But before <laughs> we go to that, um, the, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How have you transformed in the past six years? Personally. Personally, I've become, it depends on who you ask, but a boy to a man. Yeah. You know, I've learned how to not be so selfish. I never thought I was that selfish, but I've realized looking back six years ago, I was extremely selfish. Yeah. And as I'm getting older, especially now with a child on the way, um, I've become more selfless. I love it, man. This has been a great conversation. All right, speed round. We'll be right back. There's no secret that the economy is suffering from COVID-19. This is a time of adversity. You need to level up. You need to figure out new ways to make your business work, like adapting with new takeaway options or at-home dining experiences. And design is a huge part of that. That is why we're partnering with 99designs. And if you are listening to this and you are still hanging on and, and you're, you've gotten the lean and you're doing all you can to, to evolve and adapt your business and you just have nothing left in the tank for creativity or you don't even have the people on your team to delegate to because you're such a skeleton crew, but you, you need to have that online presence. It's a kind of a catch 22. Well, if you're like, how the hell am I going to do this? Here's how you're going to do it. You're going to do it with 99designs. 99designs is a creative platform that connects people and businesses with graphic designers and creative professionals around the world. There's two ways to work with 99designs. First, you can run a contest. So basically, you just have a bunch of artists and designers working 
on your creative project. You go back and forth. You get different iterations. You get feedback. You select your winner, and that's it. That's the contest. Or the second way you work with 99designs is by doing a one-on-one project. You get matched with the perfect designer for you. You guys bring the idea to life, and from start to finish, you work with that person. You can negotiate pricing directly with the designer, and you can work with them one-on-one until your design is complete. So whichever way is right for you, go check out 99designs for your creative solution today. And when you use this link, www.99designs.com slash unstoppable right now, you will get $20 off your first design contest. That's the contest, not the one-on-one project. Again, that's www.99designs.com slash unstoppable. You've been hearing it a lot on the show lately. Plate IQ. Find out why Plate IQ is the most intelligent and quite frankly, the most intuitive way to remotely manage your accounts payable. With the new spend management feature, you can issue virtual or physical cards directly, or you can even connect your existing corporate cards to get visibility into historical and real-time card activity. And when you're using that virtual card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And I haven't even mentioned all the insights you can get with Plate IQ Insights. You can compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, location, and the list goes on. You can get alerted if a price is outside of your contracted terms. You can get access to a hot list of real-time price changes, and you can even categorize your spend analysis. And I know we all have to pay bills, and it sucks to pay bills, but it sucks a whole lot less with Plate IQ's bill pay feature. You can see what is due when. You can schedule payments by check, ACH, or card. And man, how user-friendly is that calendar for scheduled pending and paid invoices. Plus, you can hold on to your flow. No money leaves your account until it is received by vendor. Here is your call to action. Head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. That's plate like the thing you eat off of. IQ like your intelligence dot com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll get 25% off implementation. So we're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. Passion. Passion. What is your biggest uh, like weakness? Weakness? Kindness. Kindness. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're scaling or when you're when you're growing your team when you're when you're hiring? What are you looking for? Not to repeat, passion. I love it. Uh, what is your current challenge today? Your biggest challenge today? COVID nineteen. How are you overcoming it? Passion. <laughs> Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. So this is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Loyalty. Loyalty. What is loyalty to you? Loyalty to me. Um, I'm saying I'm a lot. Um, You're doing great, man. No, lo- loyalty is uh, you know being being faithful. The person that you know that cares about you. That's loyalty, I and mean, they know yeah. that I care about them. So I hope that they. Return that with loyalty. I love it, dude. Uh, What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within the four walls of your restaurants, not common throughout the industry. Uh, Customer service. What what does that look like? What's what's unique about your customer service? Going above and beyond. Making the experience for Pliable's customers above and beyond. And I see a lot of that missing. And I am such a stickler even as a customer. I'm going to go one layer deeper. Give me an example of what above and beyond looks like. Like a, a, a legit example, I used to work at Nordstrom, uh, which is a clothing store. Yeah. Walk the bag around to the customers. I make sure that, you know, if it's not that busy, the 
you know, the employees walk the bags around to the customers with the bowls in there and say, thank you, have a good day. Yeah. You don't see that anymore with these young employees. They just, here you go, they'll, they'll text literally while they're handing a bag at other restaurants that I see. And I just, I don't stand for that. Yeah, I love it. What is one book that's a must read? To make us a better person or restaurant operator. For being truthful, I don't read books, but <laughs> Marley and me. What about um, podcasts? You listen to podcasts, right? Did I pick up on man. that? Skip. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll give you a pass. What is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? I'm not Customer service. I, I hate to keep repeating myself, but those loyalty, That's passion, fair, customer service. I yeah. love it. Uh, name one service you've outsourced to or hired to. So this is a... a a person that does something for you, for example, like a publicist or a, a marketing agency or a designer or you know what I'm saying? Like a, yeah. a person that has a skill that you go to. Cheryl. And she works in the Philippines. She's from the Philippines. And she is our our, our accountant. I was Not our accountant. She's our bookkeeper. Okay. You know, if there's anything that I need done, you know, Excel spreadsheet, I want to read up on something that we're selling. I email Cheryl and she gives us sales reports every day. How did you find Cheryl? Uh, my old partner, Desi, he's actually Filipino, and okay. he knew about this outsourcing company, and she's been such an integral part of it. Do you know company. the name of that company, if anybody else wanted to? I don't to know the name of it. Can you follow up with me afterwards? Yeah, yeah. All right, sure. sweet. We'll get that into the show notes if you guys want to know. All right. <laughs> We're patting dogs right now. I love it. Uh, what is one technology you've outsourced? So this is something that you're... Or a technology you've recently adopted within your business that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, yeah. profitability, anything along those lines that you'd recommend? We have a few, but the one that has really been powerful for us is Tap Mango. Okay. Um, it's essentially our customer loyalty app okay. where we get to retain all of our customer information. We can actually communicate with them directly in lieu of social media, emails. Um, you know, If we open up a store in Manchester, New Hampshire... Um, which we did today, and we get all these customers' information. We can start reaching out to them directly in the next month or two about specials, promotions, cool things that are coming up, stores that are opening. Nice. And um, was that Tap, T-A-P, Mango, like the fruit? Yep, Tap, Tap Mango. Mango. All right, beautiful. We'll link to that in the show notes. And this is the last question. It's a doozy, so get ready for it. And I'll try to speak up so you can hear me. So if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three things that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three things be? Did you hear that? Yeah. All right, cool. So I, was, I, was th- I was in deep thought as you were saying <laughs> that. Three things that I can leave behind for mankind, for my restaurant experience. For your legacy. My legacy. Good food. Yep. Hands down. Um, good healthy food. Financial guidance for people that are getting into the business world. And um, kindness to humanity. Yeah. Just- Eat good food, have financial guidance, and be kind is what yeah. I heard. Awesome stuff, man. I've loved this conversation. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. Who's one person you respect and admire in this industry and you believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Yeah. Um, you guys aren't familiar with him in this area, but I still think he'd be great for you because he is coming to this area. Jamie from Eat Clean Bro. Okay. It's a meal prep service. He is one of my mentors and... You'll get a kick out of him. Jamie too. from Eat Jamie Clean, Jamie from Eat Clean, bro. I'm coming after you, man. I can't wait to get you on the show. And how can we connect with you? Maybe we're listening to this. Maybe we like the energy you're putting out. Maybe we're interested in franchising. What's the best way to connect? Rob at pliables.com. Very All simple. Right. And that, <laughs> this is episode 500 and... Or sorry, 700. And I want to say it's 60, but stick around to the closing thoughts. I'll let you guys know exactly what episode number this is to find the, the, the notes for today's chat. Um, man, you've been incredible. Thank you so much, Rob, Thank you, for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, and your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Cool. Thanks, dude. 
world. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. What did I say? Rob Giuliani, great episode. Great time chatting with you. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to contribute to the show. And some really great takeaways in today's chat. I think obviously the first one, it comes up time and time and time and time again. You don't need a lot to start. All you need is a little bit of courage and just take a risk, get out there, get started and show up every day a little bit better with a little bit more knowledge. And um, I mean, absolutely perfect example of what happens when you just keep showing up and getting better. Six years into it from a couple of blenders and a table outside of a pizza joint, almost a hundred locations. So amazing success story that came out of today's chat. And I really love this advice too on um, the, the significance of collaboration, but also the advice that came out of today's show on just really being wise not to take money and using your own money to scale and grow. And if you guys don't have a cash flow management tool out there, just a quick reminder that we created uh, in a partnership with Spark Business Consulting, the Profit First Money Management System. So it's actually Restaurant Unstoppable in partnership with Spark Business Consulting in partnership with Mike Michalowicz of Profit First. We put together a course specifically for Profit First in the restaurant industry because money management is key to success in this industry. Uh, also, before I let you guys go, I want to remind you that in the network live, we have a shop talk. So what is shop talk? It's basically where I reconnect with my guests the, the week or within the, I guess, four weeks from when their episode goes live, ideally just a sh- talk shop and to pull back Larry. So give you guys, my listeners an opportunity to connect face to face with my guest over zoom and to ask the questions you wish I asked or to pull back a few extra layers or just to network and to, to learn and to, to lean into this, this mission of ours to inspire, empower and transform the industry by coming together and sharing knowledge and supporting one another. So if that sounds interesting to you, on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, Nick Jr. from Hattie B's in Nashville, Tennessee, is coming to reflect on this episode and to answer your questions. We'd love to have you be a part of that. I'd also love to have you be a part of the Profit First Money Management course in the network. You can find both of those links if you head over to the show notes. This is episode 759. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 759. If you're listening to this on your iPhone and you're using the Apple podcast app, just literally scroll down from the play screen and the links will be right there. Join the network, join the conversation, be a part of the transformation. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long until next time. Peace out.